Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to Duke Basketball Report, episode number 196. It is Sunday, March 1st. We're recording in the morning, and yes, it is finally March. I know February was only 29 days, but to me, it felt like six weeks. Um, Before we recap the last day of February, uh, I'm your host this week, Donald Wine. I am here at my home in Washington, D.C. I have my two friends with me. First in Atlanta, Jason Evans. Jason, good morning. Hey, Donald. Uh, not a fun week for Blue Devil fans. But it I'll was... tell you something crazy. I actually feel a little bit better about the team after the Virginia loss than I did after the Wake Forest loss. Don't feel good, but a little bit better. Okay. Save the reason why until we start recapping. Before we do that, I'm going to bring in my other host, uh, Sam Klein. Sam, you were at the game last night, weren't you? Yes, and I am still in Charlottesville. I'll be leaving after we finish this show. So I was on hand at the John Paul Jones Arena last night. My first time here at, uh, not my first time in Charlottesville, but my first time at a game, a basketball game at UVA. Well, let's get right into it because uh, yesterday was difficult. The last day of February, we went up to John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia to take on the Cavaliers. And a tough game. We ultimately fell 52 to 50. Uh, Sam, since you were in the building, I'm going to start with you with this question. Uh, 50 points, far and away, the lowest number of points we have scored in a game this season. What happened on the offensive end that led to this dismal output? I think you have to start with Vernon Carey being so effective against Virginia's double team. I, like I was surprised at how good he was at getting through guys as often as he could. I think the challenge was that it, it was sort of partially on him to look around and, and more so on the rest of the guys around the perimeter to get open outside of Virginia's pack line defense to be able to make shots. And Kerry continually was not able to find his teammates. So while he was able to rack up points and draw fouls, it was it was really on the perimeter players to not get open. Uh, and that, that, was, that was the big trouble against Virginia you know how Virginia is going to play defense you know how and Duke was actually doing a good job of disrupting Virginia's offense which we know is not good so they were turning Duke was able to get points in transition which only and given that they only scored 50 that stands to further highlight how poorly uh, Duke's outside game was uh, against Virginia uh, so uh, I've got a question because yeah. what Sam said was entirely accurate about uh, thank you, thank you, doing, Jason. There you go. I thought Kerry yeah. was doing a nice job of relocating the ball. We've seen a lot of that from him lately. We talked the other day. He had a game where he had like zero assists or one assist, where we said it was like his best passing game of the year. Um, and teams are clearly saying we cannot stop Vernon Carey in the post one on one. We must double team him. And if you're going to double team a guy, that guy's got to make good passes. Carey made good passes. I thought. Here's my question. Why did Coach K play the guys he played? Because we have three guys on this team who've shown they are capable of bombing away from outside and and really beating teams on the perimeter. Those guys are Matthew Hurt, Alex O'Connell, and Joey Baker. And at, at various games over the course of this year, those guys have sparked the team and and carried us sometimes to comfortable victory. And those three guys like barely played yesterday. And I... Matthew Hurt, Matthew Hurt especially. I, I thought the most surprising thing, Jason, I'm glad you brought that up. 
the most surprising thing to me was how little Matthew Hurt played relative to Javon Delorier. Delorier had a, a pretty decent game on defense, but the the lack of of contribution that he makes on offense makes it so hard to defend that kind of of you know rotation decision. You can't you can't do four out and one in when Javon Delore unless Javon is the one when Javon Delore is in the game. We have seen almost none of Vernon Carey and Javon Delorier playing together this season? Until until last until night. yesterday. It was bizarre. Mm-hmm. The thing for Duke, though, that I think we need to make sure we remain calm about from this game is that, so Virginia was playing uh, Diakite and Jay Huff together for most of the game to notionally big men. Diakite is really, really a mobile big, but Huff is a is a big man. He can step outside, but he's, he's a big guy. And, and Carey was guarding... Huff, I think most of the night. So Delorier was on Diakite. And I think that was the plan was, was contain those guys. Unfortunately, Huff decides just like last year in his game against Duke, Huff decides to have far and away his best game. He's an all American against us. Yeah. He, mm-hmm. he, nobody takes, nobody takes the, uh, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's, you know, he's upset that Duke didn't recruit him because he's from Durham. So probably watched a lot of Duke games as a kid, but man, when Jay Huff steps on the court against Duke, he turns into like Sheldon Williams crossed with like Giannis, right? And I mean, that's, he is, and that's yeah. amazing. And that's it, you know, despite the fact that last year in the first game at Cameron, Zion Williamson dunked him out of college basketball. Uh, like this. Yeah, he, he somehow had the goal to come back. He's, he's still, still there. there somehow. Yeah. <laughs> he's still there and bombing threes and he, he, he does everything right against Duke. So I, I, I think, I, I know, Donald, you wanted to start with the offense. I wanted to start with Jay Huff. Yeah. No, wait, please. Wait, the story of the game, the story of the game is at the rim because uh, I've cited this stat a few times in recent games. Duke was nine of 26 on shots at the rim. That's 34%. Nine of 26 on shots at the rim. That's, that means and he blocked than, 10 of them. Yeah. There, when it, we're in three feet of the basket, we didn't score. I mean, that's the difference. And there were, the game. Duke also, I, I think the other story here is that Duke had a lot of easy shots that even though they didn't get tipped, didn't go in. Joey Baker had a couple of them. Vernon Carey yeah. had a couple of them. Trey Jones had a couple, and and it's not. It wasn't just directly at the rim, but where Duke players would get six, seven feet from the basket and pull up. Trey Jones did it a couple times. Wendell Moore did it a couple times. I just didn't. I didn't understand the the decision making because it sometimes it happens late in the shot clock, and Virginia loves to grind opponents down to the end of the shot clock. And by the way, as a side note on the sort of experience at John Paul Jones Arena, they. The people, the, the fans are really excited. Obviously, it's the Duke game. It's towards the end of the season. They're making a great push, you know. So everyone, everyone's excited to be there. When Virginia commits or, or forces a team to commit a shot clock violation, that place goes out of control. They love seeing other teams commit shot clock violations against them. It's honestly like one of the purest forms of basketball fandom that I've ever seen. Is hey, is good, Virginia fans going fan. nuts? They all when yeah. the, when the shot clock violation happens, they all start mashing themselves on the head to mimic the the referee signal but regardless there were times when duke <laughs> wasn't yeah I, I i needed to mention that because it was so fun the regardless of that there were times when duke was taking these strange contested six seven eight footers when they could have kept passing the ball around i thought what was so weird is that despite vernon carey having to dribble into double teams and take these bad shots duke was actually making good passes on the perimeter they were they were setting up offense and and you could almost feel like Virginia's defense 
was giving Duke an excuse to play better offense. Like Duke hasn't been challenged on offense in this way against very many teams this season. Virginia is one of the best defensive teams that anyone is going to face. And it felt like the perimeter players were up to the challenge as far as weaving the ball in and out, trying to run motion, even though it's hard to do that against Virginia. That's why it's so strange to have seen that disconnect. Really quick, there were moments where Goldwire, Delorier, uh, and Wendell Moore were in the game together. To, and not, I was, to not shoot any threes. <laughs> I mean, those are three guys that are not offensive players. Just period in the story, they're not offensive players. And when uh, and, and look, and Cassius Stanley had a ter- hit, probably his worst game in a Duke uniform. Re- an awful offensive game. I mean, to me, you know, I mentioned that the, at the rim, the, the story of the game was at the rim and, and, and Jay Huff blocking all, all of Duke's shots and, and dunking all of his own shots. But to me, the other story was Virginia had, had a secondary player step up um, in Jay Huff and Duke had, uh, Duke had Trey Jones and Vernon Carey and no one else stepped up. Javin Delorier scored six points and was our third leading scorer. I guarantee you Javin Delorier has not been our third leading scorer, probably not even our fourth leading scorer in a single game this year. Nor does um, he want to be. No, exactly. Not his role. Uh, Duke Duke needs one of these other guys to have stepped up. And, uh, you know, and part of it is I feel like Coach K didn't allow them to. Alex O'Connell, three minutes. Joey Baker, nine minutes. Matthew Hurt, nine minutes. Coach K didn't allow those guys the, the opportunity to really step. I mean, they, they didn't play well when they were in the game. It's not like one of them was, was doing great. And then, you know, suddenly got taken out, but I'm not sure that coach K gave them much of a chance. And, and I, I worry that the, that the, there's so, so much uncertainty about the depth uh, that I'm not sure guys are mentally prepared for the game. I, I, I may be wrong about this. Jack white played only eight minutes in our past three games. Um, and, and this game, he suddenly plays 14 minutes. I mean, he he looked awful in this game, but uh, and his shot—I don't know what's going on with his shot. And but, no, and no, Justin Robinson after seeing right, him in crucial right spots after what a great after a great game he had the other night. He played zero minutes, and you would think that you know you would get the spark from him again, or at least try it because at that you know there was a point in the second half where like try something like throw throw him in the game, see if he can you know be the spark again. If if not, then. You go back with someone else, but it, it was clear that the other guys weren't doing it. I, I just I just wonder if some of the guys are uh, the, 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 the K's made them a little gun shy, or I, I don't know what's going on. Depth has been a key for this team all year, but at this point, the depth feels so weird and uneven. I'm not sure guys are completely mentally prepared. And hey, so, I, I was the, I'm the guy saying I I felt better after the Virginia game than I did after the Wake game. Maybe, maybe I should change my tune. <laughs> So I think one thing I want to talk about on the offense is the fact that towards the end of the game and really most of the second half, it became a story of, I think Virginia knew that there was only two people who were going to shoot the ball, Vernon Carey or Trey Jones. Those were the two guys that, you know, our offense has gone through the whole season and they were basically like, let's see if, let's see if someone else can beat us. And their perimeter defense, as we know, was great, but the problem was we weren't we were passing the ball around and guys that were in open positions weren't making open shots. We only had four assists last night. I I can't recall a Duke team having that few a number of assists. Say that one again, man. That is an unreal stat. 
four assists. Four on not 18 made baskets. Not a lot. That's not a lot at all. And and like you guys said in the first half, it wasn't for lack of passing the ball. It wasn't like, you know, we've had some times where we've had guys play hero ball. That wasn't the story last night. But at a certain point, Virginia was like, the only two guys who were going to beat us are Vernon Carey and Trey Jones. So let's not make let's make sure they don't beat us. They both got 17 points, but towards the end of the game, you knew who was getting the ball. And so did Virginia. So Virginia basically keyed down on them and made it so that they either had to force a terrible shot or give up the ball with two seconds left. And the one thing that you were mentioning, Sam, you know, they had two or three shot clock violations. And that was because the other guys seemed to be so focused on the two-man game of Jones and Carey that they forgot that, to look at the shot clock. There were times where we'd get the ball with two seconds left, and the guys were trying to run out to set up a new play. Like, we and there were 30 seconds. And there were, there were a couple of near-shot clock violations where Duke players realized with four or three seconds left that, oh, no, we just ran out of time to run this offense. They still – they don't get the violation because they still managed to hit the rim, but not like they were taking – good shots within the flow of the offense. Right. And I think it boils down to this on offense. We, you know, last night, the, the story was, you know, Duke has scored the second most number of points uh, per game in college basketball. Virginia had allowed the least number per game in college basketball. What happens when an unstoppable force meets an unmovable object? It doesn't Virginia matter wins. if you play their game. And that's what happened. We basically, Virginia was successful at getting Duke to play their game and they're better at their game than we are. That's All right, Donald, play. can I pose Donald, can I pose a hypothetical to you? Sure. Let's say that Trey Jones makes that last shot and Duke wins 53 to 52. How do we feel about Virginia having forced Duke to play their game and still coming out of Charlottesville with a victory? Much because I think better. <laughs> I, I, I think that the I, I think that there's such a fine line here mm-hmm. that I'm I worry about us jumping to that kind of conclusion, right? Because Duke had Duke had two shots at the end of the game. Trey Jones in, you know, with at the buzzer and then Vernon Carey right before that. Duke had mm-hmm. two shots to win the game and Virginia missed a bunch of their foul shots down the stretch. So, I don't want us to overreact to Duke having to play Virginia's style because Duke had the had the I actually said like as as Duke had the ball with like whatever that was like 12 or 13 seconds left, the one where Carey um, gets the ball taken out of his hands and then commits the foul. Mm-hmm. I said as as we were coming up the court that that I thought Duke was going to win at that point because I thought you know they know how to score in this moment and that just didn't happen. So I'm I'm worried about about overreacting in that way. In uh, to be fair, when I, I'm not certain, you know, with Carey, I was like, all right, let's get let's get it, and maybe he gets fouled and goes to the free throw line and, and tries to knock them two. And that was right. Like you said, we were down one when Jones shot that three. I honestly thought it was going in. I, I in my mind, I was like, man, Oh, I thought the Stone's same thing. time. I yeah, thought the same like thing. Stone's I, thought, I thought he's, he knows exactly where he is. He knows what mm-hmm. his brother has done in this building and he's ready to, he's ready to, to copy that. Yeah. And to wrap it up, I think, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's hard to, you know, take this loss and not overreact, but we shouldn't. I mean, this was a bad week for Duke basketball in the sense that we lost two games that we probably, you know, we had chances to win both. And at the end of the day, we we are now in a new month. We're in the month that matters now. We're in March. And we can leave February in our rear view and focus on the game at hand because 
about 36 hours from now, we play NC State at home and we get a chance to exact some revenge against the Wolfpack. I wanted to come back to Jason's point about the rotation and how I'm also sort of similarly confused about what the plan is from here, given that the rotation seems to change so much game to game. And maybe Duke is just saying, all right, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be an amoeba. We're going to, we're going to adjust to our opponents and, and let the opponent dictate which guys we play. It just doesn't feel like that is working or that the players aren't ready for it. The last thing I'll say about all of this, there's a little bit of karma going on with Duke. I think we're getting a little bit of karmic payback for the victory over Carolina. I, 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 there are teams out there. I believe there's some teams that just win all their close games, but the reality is you win some and you lose some. And that's why they call them toss up games. And in the final, you know, in the final minute, Duke, Duke won a couple toss-up games in a row when we beat Florida State and Carolina. Uh, those were really, really close games um, where it could have easily gone either way. And, and frankly, the Carolina game probably shouldn't have gone our way. So I think karma kind of dictated it was time to pay back both of those. Hence the loss to Wake, which was not entirely dissimilar from the Carolina game. Carolina had a lead late. We came back and won in overtime. We had a lead late on Wake. They came back and won, and won in overtime. And karmic payback for Florida State in the Virginia game, which is not entirely dissimilar. You know, we had a lead and held them off against uh, against uh, uh, FSU. Against Virginia, they had a lead. They held us off. Um, so the only thing I'd say about that is maybe we're now due to win a couple more tight ones. I mean, we've been absolutely snake bit in close games in the in the great eight, in the final eight in, in recent years. Maybe, maybe if we get to the final eight, maybe it's time for a little bit of karmic payback and this Duke team gets back to a final four. I, you Are you know. saying that, that Grayson Allen's final shot is going to roll in against Kansas instead of roll out? Oh God, please. Can that happen, please? Hey, hey how about, how about against Michigan state? They don't have their best game of the season against us this time. And, and Zion gets to make a final four. Well, I, I think if you watched Michigan state last night against Maryland, you'd be worried about having to play them anytime soon in the tournament because they look, oh, yeah. They looked yeah. really strong the other day coming coming up again uh, at I think they were they were in College Park in College Park were were awesome against Maryland, which, yeah, you know, is fine, this the moment I'm where, fine with that. Is this the moment where we talk about seeding? Because uh, I, I think Duke could be a two. We're currently a three, but we could also be a four. <laughs> and it can be thank, anything goodness, in this thank goodness the selection committee doesn't look at your final 10 games anymore. They used to look at your last 10. Because over our last 10, we're like maybe a six or a seven. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? We It's a new month. We can leave February behind us. And now we get to focus on the meet, the best month of the year. We will start with our preview of the game tomorrow against NC State. But first, this word. Okay, we're back here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. And tomorrow, Monday, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, we have a big one. We, we, we get to return right around and we get to host NC State to exact some revenge. Of course, uh, just less than a couple of weeks ago, uh, we went to Raleigh and just had the doors blown off of our, our entire situation, uh, an 88 to 66 beatdown. Uh, now it's time to get back to business and exact some revenge. Uh, Jason, I start with you. What do you look for against the Wolfpack? What do we need to do better uh, to beat the Wolfpack at home? Well, we can't allow them to once again 
just bomb away from three and get to the rim at, at will. Um, I, you know, I, the same keys to the game that we had when we played them a week ago are still the same keys that exist here, which is Markel Johnson can't have a huge game. Um, he he was an absolute monster against us, and 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 they can't have sort of one of the one or two of those side players. They've got good other players who sometimes step up and sometimes don't. You know, we can't have you know, the CJ Bryce's of the, of the world and the Devin Daniels of the world going off for 20 plus points against us. Um, which, which is what happened, you know, or Braxton Beverly, you know, hitting four three pointers, which is, you know, sort of what happened to us last game. Um, and this NC state team, like literally they, they beat us and you would think they could use that as a launching pad to, 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 to make their real case for the NCAA tournament. And instead, they turned around, they immediately lost a home game to Florida State. Not, not embarrassing, not a horrible thing. And then they went and they lost on the road to North Carolina. Not embarrassing, not a horrible thing, but not the kind of thing that's going to get you in the NCAA tournament. They, they, they won at home against Pittsburgh. Very close game, 77 to 73. They beat Pittsburgh over the weekend. Um, but basically, as they have done throughout their recent years, they played great against Duke. They play very mediocre against everybody else, and um, uh, hopefully they'll play mediocre against us on Monday because because I'm sick of them playing way better than they're supposed to. Um, that's no fun. Uh, yeah, but they're NC they're not State, they're not going to make the State tournament. Beating NC State beating Duke by 20 and then losing to North Carolina is pretty much the story Peak of NC State. State. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they're they're not going to make. I think even if they beat us, they're probably not going to make the tournament. But their only hope of making the tournament is to beat us at this point. Because I mean, they're nine and nine in the, in the conference. Even even if they get to eleven and nine, I think they're probably not in. Um, you know, if the only thing they're hanging their hat on is we beat a, a Duke team that is clearly fading, that's that's all they got, and and it's on them. They had the opportunity. They had games out there they could have won that would have gotten them in the tournament. They should be way better than nine and nine in the conference right now. But you know, I I, I just hope they don't rise up again. We we've seen enough of that. Sam, what are you looking for to, uh, against NC State? I want Duke to make some shots. I think that was that was a trouble against them in Raleigh. I think it was it was a, obviously a big flaw against Virginia. Duke will be back home in Cameron on Monday, which always helps for the shooting. the The guys I hope will be motivated um, to to exact some revenge on the Wolfpack, given that the loss is still pretty recent and probably stay. I think I would think that the NC State loss is the one that stings the most because I think it's the one where Duke played the most poorly throughout the game. Like the Virginia loss hurts because it was right at the end and, and Duke had opportunities to win the game and didn't. I think the NC State loss hurts the most because it was the worst sort of overall effort. So hopefully the players are motivated. Hopefully and their, they their world, by the way, the, the wake lot, their worlds where, where Duke ends up winning that wake game by easily by double digits. I mean, like, right. Definitely. It, like yeah. Duke knows it could have like, I agree. It, it, the it NC was, State game is the worst game. Yeah. NC State, NC State was the game where Duke was, was, out of it most of the game and and didn't really show that they were able to to mount the comeback. So if if you're trying to take silver linings away from losses, that was the toughest one. So hopefully that means that they'll be they'll be in the mode to to get back to it. And then also honestly that they recover mentally from from the Virginia loss. Cause that was I think it was a tough one for them to swallow. They'll they'll look back at, at NC State and say, ugh, what a you know what a bad loss we had that night, but it's a good one to forget. Um, it's a good one to to try to bury away. The, the Virginia one is going to feel fresh, and not only that, 
Duke knows that North Carolina is coming in at the end of this week. So the the focus is going to be a little all over the place. Hopefully, Coach K can point to the calendar and say, you know, as Donald noted at the beginning of the show, guys, it's March. And, and things just matter a little bit more now than they have the rest of the season. I'm not sure which version of Duke we're going to get on Monday night, but hopefully it's the one that can make a few more shots from the perimeter to put away an NC State team that Duke should be, as we noted last time, a team that Duke should be beating by 10, 15 points if they are at home. Uh, and if we have the Cameron crowd uh, behind the team. So for me, I want to see renewed emphasis on winning the paint and particularly on defense. And what I mean is I want to see us get back to rebounding. Like we were rebounding at the beginning of the season when we, at the beginning of the season, yes. we were killing yes. people on the boards. And that led to a lot of transition buckets. It led to us really just taking the momentum away from any team that we faced. The last few games we've gotten away from that. We've been out-rebounded in every game, I believe, in, Feb- in February. Uh, you can check me on that. But I, I know at least most of them we were out-rebounded, and we shouldn't have been. When there are nights when we have off-shooting, it still didn't matter because we had the offensive boards to really put ourselves, keep ourselves in the game or take the other team out of it. And I believe that the core of us playing poorly in the paint has boiled down to we need to be more assertive on defense, getting blocked shots. We used to block a lot of shots. We don't block that many shots anymore. Remember? Well, no. Duke had, Duke had some decent blocks against against Virginia. Yes, um, but I mean, Virginia was returning returning all those blocks in kind. Right, but it's also it was also not a uh, – it wasn't – that was an aberration when it came to this month. We weren't really doing much inside the paint and defense. We were letting guys get to the rim at will. It, but that whole thing, that whole intensity that we were lacking, it starts on defense. If we can get rebounds, if we can shut down whatever offensive sputter that the opponent has on one shot and go, that is where we got a lot of transition points. That's where we got a lot of our momentum. That's where we'd see Cassius fly through through the air or you know a Vernon Carey alley-oop. That's where we start taking people out of the game. And I think for us, boils down to let's be more assertive on defense. Let's, you know, let's get some communication and really protect the paint. Tomorrow, I mean, Monday night is is our house. We have to actually play like it's our house this entire week. One thing I will note, the last three times, the last three weeks, we have had three chances to take the sole possession of first in the ACC because of losses to Florida State or Louisville. Three times we did not do that. We don't have a chance to do that this week. We're now, I believe, in fourth place. So now we can just play. We can just play these last two games at Cameron, you know, play against NC State and UNC, our two triangle rivals, and really just focus on beating those guys and preparing for the tournament NCAA and ACC because – we don't have to worry about our seating anymore. We, I mean, there's still some things that can fluctuate, but we, if we worry about it, that's when we falter. I think this team should just focus on interior defense and really getting out and, and making some transition buckets that we like we used to at the beginning of the season, because if we do that, we're going to be okay. You know, you brought up rebounding, and I'm so glad you did. It, that is, the, that is the, the most identifiable thing that has sloughed off, I think, for this Duke team in in recent weeks um for the entire season duke is one of the 20 best offensive rebounding teams in the country but over the past 10 games we're 77th in offensive rebounding percentage 
and and get this over the past 10 games duke is 225th in defensive rebounding we're we're a well below average almost one of the bottom 100 teams in college basketball in defensive rebounding over our past 10 games so the rebounding i mean to say it slipped doesn't even do it justice we are we are really struggling on on rebounding lately and and it's making a big difference in in what kind of team we are and it, and it shows up every place it, your your offensive and your defensive efficiency when when you get an offensive rebound and score a basket it helps when you give up a defensive or an offensive rebound to the other team and they score this is uh <laughs> this is an area we've we've been get good at it again i'm so glad you brought that up donald it it, it will be a huge factor against nc state and especially against the Tar Heels later this week. Yeah, so we will preview the NC, uh, the UNC game later on this week, but Monday night, Cameron, I'll be there. I know Sam will be there. It's going to be a good game um, and really a very important one as we try to write the ship from last week and really the whole last month and make March our month. Okay, guys, I know last week was uh, a challenge to find a player of the week, but this is what we signed up to do. So, Sam, who was your player of the week last week? And remember, we are taking into account the Wake game and the UVA game. I think if Justin Robinson had played one minute against UVA, I could justify giving it to him. I think if Trey Jones had made that final game winner against Virginia, I could have given it to him. I think if Vernon Carey had played more against Wake Forest and been more impactful. I could have given it to him. No one else on the team really did anything to impress me. So I think I'll take Nolan Smith's continuing good sense of style on the on the sideline as my player of the week. I I, I, I don't have anybody for this week that I want to highlight. That's fair. Jason, what do you got? Can, can I just say that I, I kind of like Sam's pick? I think I want to go with Nolan Smith's outfit because uh, it's not a week where there were a lot of guys who played played well. I, I think I'm going to pick Vernon Carey. I feel like against Wake, had he not fouled out, he would have had a, a pretty big stat line and a pretty good week. Um, and I'm not sure. I think the refs called things pretty tight on him a couple times. So I'm not going to entirely 100% blame him for fouling out. So And I thought he played well against Virginia. Um, we kept on getting him the ball, which I want us to do. And I feel like he could have taken it up stronger a little bit, especially like the very last play. Um, he he hesitated. He pumped fake, and he should have just gone up and stuffed that thing and and won the game. So, but, Jason, in so summary. I'll, I'll take Vernon Carey as my player. Jason, in summary, your player of the week in the first game wasn't adjusting to the way the refs were calling the game. And in the second game, didn't go up hard enough, especially in crunch time. Uh, yes, that is that is who I am taking, and it is a sign of the week that everyone else had that that's my pick. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it's difficult, but here's the thing. I'm going to go with Justin Robinson. When he played against Wake, I thought he came in and was the spark of the team. He, you know, he came, brought us all the way back in the first half. He was instrumental in keeping us in the game with – Literally everything. He, he had steals. He had assists. He had dunks. He had blocks. He even tried a three pointer. It didn't didn't work out. But at least he was he was trying. Um, and honestly, if he had played 
a minute against Virginia, we might have won the game. You never know. So I'm going to go with Justin Robinson just to show him love for what he did against Wake because I thought it was something that was worth noting. I got no problem with that pick. No, no problem at all. And now we are going to parting shots. And Jason, I will let you do your parting shot first. I want to do a little dookie in the NBA thing really quickly. Um, I mean, look, everybody talked about Zion Williamson. And by the way, folks, Zion Williamson, uh, it was reported this past week, uh, gave a gift to all his teammates on the Pelicans. He gave them all Mardi Gras-themed Beats by Dre, which are really cool-looking. You can find them online. I mean, what a great guy. You know, he's a rookie. He's barely – he's only played like a dozen games, and he's, he's given gifts to all his teammates, and, and they all loved him. But the guys I want to talk about – did y'all see what Seth Curry did the other day? Seth Curry mm-hmm. <laughs> went, went eight of nine from three, 13 of 15 overall um, on Saturday night. And it was the highest effective field goal percentage in a single game in NBA history. NBA history. He set the record. He had essentially the best shooting game anyone in the NBA has ever had ever. He has been really balling out for Dallas lately. He's averaging 18 and a half points per game in February. Seth Curry is averaging 18 and a half points per game. And also in February, he's hitting 60% of his threes. Damn. And then the other guy I wanted to shout out, and I'm from Atlanta. Cam Reddish is playing really good ball for the Hawks. He is doing exactly what you want to see from a rookie. He's improving every month of the season. His first month in October, he averaged five points per game. November, he averaged eight points per game. December, nine and a half points per game. January, 11.9 points per game. And now in February, 13 and a half points per game. And he's he's hitting more of his threes. In January and February, he's hitting close to 40% of his three-pointers. Um, you know, if Cam Reddish going to play like this, maybe, maybe he was a really, really good pick for the Hawks at number 10 because I know a lot of people thought that, that was a wasted pick. So I just wanted to shout out to a couple Dukies, Seth and Cam, not as celebrated perhaps as some of their teammates, um, you know, from from Duke, but guys who are really starting to get it done, who look like they're going to be very, very solid NBA players for a long, long time. That's a great parting shot. And it actually leads, I'm going to skip over Sam just quickly because I think my parting shot ties into that. Uh, mine also deals with Dukies of the NBA. And did you guys see the other day, uh, I guess this was Sunday or a Saturday. Did you see Jason Tatum channel his inner Trey Jones? Little off the rim action on the free throw. He sure did with uh, just a few seconds left in the game uh, in regulation against the Rockets. He, uh, they were down three. The Celtics were down three to the Rockets. He's at the line and he intentionally misses the free throw off the front rim, tips it back out to his teammate, Jalen Brown, who nails a dagger three pointer. Uh, in the face of everybody on the Rockets to tie the game at the buzzer and send it to overtime. Uh, besides all of that, Jason Tatum has been lights out this entire, like since January 1st, he has been dominating the NBA. He is one of the better players, uh, top 15, maybe even 10 players in the NBA this season. So uh, if you have not been watching Jason Tatum play, it is a sight to see uh, you need to watch I hate the Celtics, but he had he had fifty plus. Damn it, I love Jason he had Tatum. Fifty plus the other day. I mean, that's that's yes. serious they NBA. They don't player. call him yeah. Jay Smooth for nothing. He's smooth. He's been smooth all season, and definitely uh, another uh, another uh, just example of how the brotherhood is just dominating lights out in the NBA. Yo, yo, crazy! Wait, wait, crazy thing. Jason Tatum would be a senior if he'd stayed at Duke right yep. now. Mm-hmm. We'd be uh, pretty good with him on the team. 
<laughs> and speaking speaking of brotherhood, real quick note uh, for those of you in DC on April first, the Bayou Brotherhood is coming into town, and yours truly will be in the building. Uh, Duke DC is doing a pregame event with uh, somebody from the Pelicans, and then a postgame event where we get to meet uh, either one of the players or Trajan Langdon. Uh, so that's going to be pretty cool. So if you are in DC, uh, you probably should get on that wait list right now because it's already sold out, and we're trying to find more space, but. That should be a fun time to watch the Bayou Brotherhood come. Zion is probably going to go off for like 92 points against the Wizards because the Wizards aren't that good right now other than Bradley Beal. Uh, Sam, what do you have for a parting shot? I wanted to quickly note we mentioned Trey Jones because we were talking about Jason Tatum and making buzzer beaters. Trey Jones uh, announced this week that he is a semifinalist for the National Defensive Player of the Year Award. We have highlighted on this show many times Trey Jones's outstanding defensive effort and accomplishments. So hopefully that is an award that he can garner at the end of the season. But he's a he's a semifinalist there. It's nice to see him recognized. But we will see where that ends up at the end of the season. Only 10 guys on the list. I mean, that's elite company that he's in. And he's one of the favorites for sure. Definitely. He's one of the favorites for that. And he's on the list for National Player of the Year. Him and Vernon Carey are going to... Uh, hopefully be receiving a lot of postseason awards. Uh, but we are now in March, guys. We are going to wrap it here. We will be back later on in the week to preview the final game of the regular season against UNC. I would say big game, but UNC has not been playing well. And uh, hopefully we will be playing much better in Cameron on senior night. But until then, for Sam in Charlottesville on his way back to Durham, I will see you tomorrow. For Jason in Atlanta, I am Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. This is episode number 196. And as always, Duke Band, take us home.